Fast Money starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Mark Tepper, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. We start off with a big after-hours action. Netflix, IBM, eBay all on the move as our conference calls get underway. We've got full team coverage on Netflix. Less than an hour to go until it's called. Gene Munster is getting ready to fire up the red phone in Minneapolis. Mark Newton is here to break down the after-hours moves on the charts. We start off with the big move. The stock is at the after-hours session low. Shares plunging double digits after adding just 2.7 million subscribers, the lowest amount in three years. So are the best days behind this stock? Steve Grasso. No, I don't, I don't think so. And, and uh, bespoke, Paul, Paul Hickey was on. He said a great thing about seasonality on this. The second quarter is always a little bit tough. It gets a little bit better going into year-end. So I think if you're a Netflix bull, this really hits you in the gut. But longer term, I think you can stay long. That's really looking at the glass half full, isn't it? I mean, two point <laughs> seven, but two point seven million yeah. versus <laughs> five million. Didn't they come out worse? But they didn't in U.S. paid subscribers ever. You could argue, you could argue that okay, fine, Wall Street got ahead of itself and was expecting five million. They came at two point seven million international, but it's the loss in the U.S. When you're facing competition and you've raised prices, that really calls the whole story into question. Well, I don't think I, it's international. What I what I was upset with is that in April, they're the ones that came out and gave us that five million number. Right. So it should have come from their guidance was completely wrong in April. How do they not have a gut feel on that number to dress the window down even more? And I think it's about international growth. It's not about domestic for me. It's about international. Well, but the, the domestic matters because you have competition coming in domestic and they raised prices here, right? So that's what investors are and concerned about. And the U.S. About. market is slowing on a relative basis right. in growth. So. I mean, it's an obviously fantastic company, great story. But when you have metrics that are so sky high like this and you have a miss like this, is it's not like, oh, all of a sudden it's cheap, right? right. I, it's, still, it's still in the stratosphere for me. And, you know, you always wonder, and for years I've been wondering, all right, when, did this, when does it finally catch up to them? When right. does all the spending and all the growth finally catch up to them that they don't actually make enough money to warrant this kind of valuation? I don't know if this is the time. I certainly wouldn't short it here, but I would let it I would let it settle for a while. And I just want to bring up one point that Jim Cramer made that I think is so important. He said you really shouldn't trade anything before you hear the conference call. Mm -hmm. There's so much color to be had on this. We'll see what they we'll see what they say, but to jump in right here with half the information, I don't know. You got to be. I would, uh, I would love to see if they have a good explanation for that big of a yeah. shortfall or at this point. Well, did, well, he's saying, all right. In April, they said that they're. I think talking about a decent quarter this current quarter. Do right. we have more credibility? Do they have right. more credibility or less. now than they had in April? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Probably the context slate was weak in the second quarter, right? And in, in Q3, you got Stranger Things uh, season three. There were 41 million viewers in the first five days. You got Orange Is the New Black. Money heist. You got a lot of good stuff happening in the back half of the year. So hopefully they can rebound. But I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat this. This was a complete disaster, a complete whiff. Well, right. How bad is Friends and Office losing that? Is anyone on this desk, does everyone have Netflix? I have Netflix. I, do but not, I, did, yeah. I did not yeah. subscribe to Netflix. Do you watch a whole lot of Friends and The Office on Netflix? Never. No. My so, kids do. So, do they, well, because they're a different generation, but I'm sure they are, they're watching other things as well. You, people, when you look at the numbers, it's above 50, close to 60% that are looking for their own content, not right. Friends my, and not, right. not My bigger concern as an investor would be the fact that they did put through 
with these price increases. We saw this big drop in uh, total users. And so the question, with all this competition coming forward in the back half of the year and going into next year, will we see Netflix's ability to raise price going forward curtailed. To me, that's the most shocking thing, right? I mean, to be fair, earlier this week, I had said, I was bullish on Netflix and said, listen, you're not going to cut, Netflix is one of the last things you cut off in a recession or in a downturn in the economy. It turns out I was wrong. So for me, I've got a question of the whole thing. And their entire business model has been spend a ton of money to get those subscribers. If you don't have that growth, Wall Street's not going to give you a break on spending money. Or if you can't raise price. Right on a that's, slowing growth user base like the U.S., then what? Yeah, that's a problem. If you can't raise price, you get big issues, especially with what they're spending on content right now. Right. I mean, the free cash flow burn is still an issue. Fortunately, they reaffirmed that it's just going to be negative $3.5 billion, and it didn't get worse because last quarter it was $3 billion. Then it ticked up to $3.5 billion. So I was a little concerned that it might tick up even higher. They did reaffirm that it's going to stay where it's at. But, yeah, I, I mean, it is an but issue. But we have seen this before, the right? We have seen them increase price. We have seen the stock tumble. We have seen the seasonality of the second quarter. Have we seen this weak. decline in U.S. paid subscribers? No. No, no we, have, no. we have not seen that. Seen We've never that. seen that, bi- never that seen big that. of a whiff on the numbers. And I, I, that, that is, uh, it's definitely worrisome. But I, I, I believe to what Karen said. Let's uh, listen to the call. Sure. And let's see yeah. what the message sure. but right now, is. But right now, the outstanding question to Karen's point in terms of valuation is, uh, you know, this is a growth stock. It's certainly priced for growth. So if we're not seeing that in U.S. subscribers at this point, then what? Yes, I mean, va- valuation, though, has been astronomical, and that's, that's a problem. But I should say that has never been a problem before. So it depends when on to what start, degree right, right. it becomes a problem. That's exa- and that's right. exactly the problem with these high flyers. It doesn't just happen to Netflix. But as soon as, that, as soon as that growth slows, and that's what they're getting credit for, we've seen it with many other companies, as soon as that slows, the story deteriorates and and. Different buyers have to come in, and it's not cheap, to Karen's point. So what metrics are you going to use? It's a slowing growth company based on this quarter, based on not, hear- and not hearing the call. So they are talking about a little bit of potential pull forward. So the first quarter, they added 9.6 million subscribers, which is, you know, a blockbuster quarter. 2.7 million this last quarter. So maybe there was a bit of pull forward. Maybe this quarter isn't as bad as the headline number leads you to believe. I don't know. They're the ones, the as Crasso said, they're the ones who came out with the guidance. Right. right. right? So, I mean, they just like, said there was pull forward yeah, on the first right. quarter. Exactly. So the second quarter is going to be down to three. And at least three would right. have been a miss, right. but not as big. Yeah. So you got to wonder what happened. Well, this, what right. happened this could be the, the most the interesting call in Netflix history right now today. This could be the most interesting call that they've had. And the flip side of it is Disney. I would have been betting against that one. That one's still up 30% year-to-date. The, the chart is still intact. Betting against in the, that you would think that the stock would have fallen by now. That would have fallen, come back to earth. Yeah. But it, this stands to reason. When you look at the whole complex, it stands to the positioning of it. it. You look at eBay. You look at IBM. You look at Netflix. Those crowded names that people were in are dropping the most. And the names that people were not in. You don't think Netflix in, was crowded? No, that's the point. Oh, okay. I think Netflix was crowded, and people that were underweight in IBM had to chase it. People that were underweight in Disney had to chase it because they were waiting for it to break out of that trading range, and it eventually did, and it's holding. All right. For more on Netflix earnings reaction, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster, for more reaction. Gene, what do you make of this big miss? How, how would you explain $2.7 million versus five expected? Well, they probably pulled a million forward from the December quarter, but that still doesn't really capture the <laughs> well, significance of that Well, then they should have accounted miss. for that in their, in their guidance, right? They should have said four instead of five. 
Yeah, it was, um, I've listened to your commentary. I don't like to pile on when things are negative, but I just want to try to be, have a, a most clear view of what's going on. And what's happened, even if you account for a pull forward that they didn't give proper guidance for, uh, this is negative. And this, I think we're going to look back at this quarter as one of the pivotal moments in, in the Netflix story. And I think what the, the key insight here is that the uh, content uh, lineup that they had in the June quarter just simply didn't get the job done. And we can talk about what's coming in terms of competition, but ultimately that is the tip of the spear at this uh, story. And when you uh, put a layer on top of that content and things are going to get more difficult, when you layer on top of that, uh, the valuation, and I want to enumerate that, 52 times uh, next year's earnings, and that's on this lower stock price. Compare that to Apple at 15, just as a point of reference. Uh, and then you add the debt piece, which we have not talked about. I think it's somewhere between 10 and $12 billion in debt. Uh, I think you could start to see why it's not necessarily this quarter is the breakdown for, for the future, but I think we will look back as this quarter as representative of the best days of Netflix are behind it. So that's what you believe, that we've seen the best days of Netflix, they're over. I think we have. I think they, they may have an anomaly quarter, but when you put all these factors together in terms of the pricing that you've talked about, in terms of the debt, the valuation, uh, upcoming competition, uh, what their content roadmap looks like, I, uh, I just... Uh, as much as I love the company, I just think it's going to be uh, its the best days, unfortunately, are in fact behind it. How concerned are you that, that Netflix's ability to raise price is uh, severely um, curtailed at this point, given the competition on the horizon? Uh, it's definitely curtailed. Uh, the competition, like you said, it's not about the pricing piece. It's not about what happened as much in the June quarter as, mu as much as what's coming up. We're talking about four major new competitors coming in the next year. And so I think that that will uh, impact pricing. And, and, of course, we know the model. We've talked about it uh, here today is that you've got to keep the subs going to keep funding the content to paying off the debt. It is wonderful when it's working, but if it, it, t it starts to backtrack, my one question going into the, the interview tonight, I think that's how they refer to it, is that guidance is, is uh, they're sending a message that they're going to just step right back up to normalcy. And I understand that they have uh, a good start for the, the, the month of July. But even if they are able to step back up to that, call it six and a half to seven million range, which is consistent with the average number of subs they've added over the last four years, six and a half, even if they're able to step up to that, I don't think that that will be sustainable. So, Gene, when, when you look back, and I, I agree with you, it's a terrible number, but when you look back on it, how much did Game of Thrones have to do with this? And with the stock down now 12%, at what point is it a buy, even if the best days are behind it, at what point does it collapse enough for you to buy it? Don't have a good answer on Game of Thrones. It had an impact, but they knew that that was coming. Uh, in terms of where would I buy it, probably kind of around that 15 multiple, so a ways down from where we're at. All right, Gene, um, grade the quarter, please. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to give it a C minus. I, I, I struggled, uh, and uh, I wanted to give it, I uh, thought about D plus. Uh, because if you miss back in elementary school, if you uh, come up with 46% short of perfect, that to me is a D. Uh, but they did grow subs, and so I wanted to give them some credit for that. So to answer your question, Melissa, <coughs> C-. minus. All right, Gene. Um,
Let us know what you think of the uh, interview, as they call it, Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, let's dive into the charts on Netflix now. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors is at the plasma. So, Mark, what does that chart look like? Down 12.5% right now. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, let's take a look at the technicals to put some of these moves into perspective. Netflix down over 12%, almost $45 from the closing price today. Uh, a big drop, obviously, 2.7 versus 5 expected. When you take a look at the longer-term chart, it's really interesting because the stock really had gone nowhere you know, over the last uh, six months. So obviously lagging other FANG stocks like Facebook, Amazon. Uh, today's move is going to put this under the lows of this entire range going back since the beginning of the year. So it will open potentially tomorrow morning, assuming we don't regain anything on the call, under 320, which on a weekly close with two days left, likely is going to send this down even further uh, in the days to come. Now, when you look at the longer-term picture, this is really interesting because the stock really has been beginning what I view as a longer-term consolidation triangle. And so getting down near 275 is really the area I would pay attention and look to buy on dips. If it's under 322 by Friday, my thinking is it, it is going to show further losses to come. Obviously, it's going to be big volume most likely tomorrow, undercutting all these former weekly and monthly lows. That's certainly a negative technically. And so that really joins what we're thinking uh, on the fundamental side. Whether it's anomaly or not, you really have to pay attention when you see a big gap down on heavy volume. IBM, on the other hand, up 1%. It's had a big move uh, after hours here. And take a look at how this looks after hours. And the stock up 33%. Everybody looks at the short term. Longer term, though, it's really important to notice this stock has been really in a longer term downtrend since 2015. We're right up near 150 is an area I'd actually want to sell into this and short it, if not selling rallies on what I own. I, I don't really like the structure here. If anything, this is still one to consider selling into strength, very much a longer-term laggard. Uh, IBM, though, in the near term, you know, it's really got to get up above these former highs, which would help it get up to 150. Uh, above 150, then you might take a look. But, you know, bottom line is Netflix is one I'd be one to buy in the weeks ahead, down, getting down under 280 down to that 270 level. IBM, on the other hand, is one I want to look to sell into on any further strength in, in the weeks ahead. All right. Mark, thank you. Mark Newton over at the Plasma. Um, so let's do Would You Rather. Oh. Mm-hmm. Buy Netflix on weakness or sell IBM into strength. Wow. That is oh, a fantastic. That's a really hard one. Um, you know what? I'd, I'd rather sell IBM into strength. And, and I'll tell okay. you why. Is because, one, I think... IBM's quarter was good. Nothing, nothing wrong with that quarter. But they haven't had a lot of big expectations for IBM. Red Hat was probably better than what they're expecting. So it was kind of a show-me story. They showed you. So I think you got a better chance. Of, I'd rather sell that than I, I don't. Netflix, the story's broken here. And, and as Mark was saying, these, these things are great on the way up, right? It's a nice virtuous circle on the way up. But when that reverses, it's a real problem. Same question to you, Mark. So I would buy the dip. For Netflix. So uh, in the past, uh, they had subscriber misses second quarter of 16, first quarter of 17, second quarter of 18. Buy the dips has worked for Netflix. I still think the long-term thesis is intact. Even with the competition coming. I do. I mean, streaming's not a winner-take-all space. There's room for several companies to succeed. Uh, And they do have first-mover advantage. I mean, who else has 152 million subscribers? Mm -hmm. Karen? I'm very much in BK's camp. I'd rather short IBM. I think the risk-reward from being short is all of a sudden it becomes an absolute darling, a la a Netflix, which 
I've, hasn't happened in a really long time. We have seen other darlings that become no longer a darling and how painful that can be. Yes. So the risk reward of those two would you rather makes me absolutely IBM shorter. All right. Coming up, we will have much more Netflix throughout this show as the streaming giant gears up for its conference call or interview in less than an hour's time. Plus, Bitcoin pro Melton Demir is testifying on Capitol Hill calling Facebook's Libra dangerous. She will be here to explain just how big of a threat it is to the crypto universe. We are live from Times Square. New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on United Rentals dropping in the after-hour session. Let's get to Kate Rogers at headquarters. Kate. Hey, Melissa. That's right. You said it. United Rentals shares taking a dive here in the after-hours trade. The company actually beat on the top and bottom lines for Q2, but trimmed its outlook a bit from the high end of full-year revenue guidance. Now, CEO Matthew Flannery said the company was pleased with general rental and specialty segments during this quarter and added that the outlook for the second half of 2019 remains positive from both customers and the field. But Flannery added that the the guidance changes reflect a slower-than-expected pace for URI's Blue Line integration. This buyout is supposed to help boost the company's presence in North America, as well as what he called, quote, historically bad weather in several key regions in the quarter. The conference call, the conference call rather, kicks off tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern, and some key things to watch will be any more commentary on customer sentiment, along with the seasonal headwinds like the one experienced here and what he mentioned. Also, more commentary on the Blue Line integration and what may have held that up. The stock is still up around 28% year-to-date, but it is trading in bear market territory, down 24% from highs hit on September 20th. It also had a rough 2018 and is among the top 10 worst performers in the industrials over the past 12 months. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers at headquarters. So let's trade this. Karen, you are in URI. Yeah, sadly, uh, painfully, I am long URI. I love this company. I, I think the management team is fantastic. I don't love citing weather. I think bad weather is getting to be a... Not a, not a one-off, but that's just the way it's going to be. So the thing that actually stuck out to me a little bit, and it's not a huge deal, but the thing I didn't like, they, they talked about their EBITDA is going to be just slightly less than, than they had given before in their outlook. But their, their free cash flow is actually going to be a little bit higher. And while that sounds great, the reason is because they're going to pull back a tiny bit on their CapEx. And I like when they're feeling good about spending. And so when they see the returns on that CapEx, so it's not a huge amount of money. You know, and the balance sheet here is actually they're getting toward the lower end of the leverage that they feel comfortable having. I I just, I'd rather see them be a little more aggressive. It's not expensive here at the post market. It's not expensive at all, but as a bellwether for how companies are feeling about right. the economy in the future, sure. spending money. I don't love it. It's that signaling that. effect, right? I mean, right. If you, you've had, we had housing starts today, which were not that great, right? So now you have a company in the industry saying, you know what? We don't feel as great about the industry as we did maybe six months ago. It's that signaling effect. Now, down at 110, this stock is traded, what, between 110 and 140, roughly? I think down at 110, it's probably a good risk reward. I mean, it wasn't like it's this 122 was... 122 now. 122, so another 10 bucks. That's where BK likes it. And, and technicals of it. So Karen gave you the, a, a great fundamental backdrop of it. But it's triple toppy from February, April, and now recently, right around, this, right, right around where it fell from, has been resistance to the name. And it does not look like it is about to break out anytime soon. But more broadly, in terms of the mosaic that we've seen so far from industrials, mm-hmm. I mean, we've gotten the initial one from BASF. We've yep. gotten a warning from Fastenal, which cited tariffs and also higher raw materials. Right. We have this. 
We have CSX, which was a CSX. horrible yes. today's yes. session. Right, absolutely. So what, what does that mosaic paint? It paints, it paints picture. a slowing economy. It paints a slowing economy. And I'll add in more. Euro, European car sales were not that great today, right? And so we have Ford and GM coming next week. It paints what Karen's been concerned about and been talking about, is you have this stagnation in the economy because people are and uncertain. What is that more likely to, to result in? Powell cutting rates maybe 50 basis points versus 25. And then that solves everything. Right. 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 Well, let me the market, project, though. Yeah. Some of that is already priced into the market, right? Don't you think? Some of it. Over the next 20, some of it. Some of it, 25 maybe, but you don't know. It changes. But I think that the market right now is not worried about granularity and stock-specific names. It's worried about the macro. So this week, we have earnings. We're going to worry about that. As we enter into the later phases of July, then we're going to worry about Powell. He cuts rates 50 basis points. The market goes to new highs. All right, we got to get to eBay here. Uh, that stock is moving higher in the after-hours trading. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with the details. Aditi. Hi, Melissa. We have been monitoring the call as well. eBay shares soaring after a beat on the top and bottom lines. At one point, the stock was up 7% in after-hours trading. Uh, we're going to go straight to the guidance numbers. You know, both Q3 and full-year revenue guidance came in a bit light, though. But full-year EPS guidance was above estimates. Another key metric analysts are watching, GMV, gross merchandise volume, or the sum of all the sales on the platform. They came in at $22.68 billion. Uh, that is a slight uh, miss over the $23.04 billion the street had modeled. Now, the company has been in the middle of a strategic review uh, after activist investors Elliott Management uh, and Starboard Value took stakes in the company. And the online retailer also has announced that it's taken two actions to strengthen its portfolio. In the earnings release, eBay says it's reached a commercial agreement with Paytm Mall to bring eBay's global inventory to, onto one of the largest marketplaces in India. Secondly, uh, eBay has reached an agreement to sell its flash sale German business brands for friends. Uh, eBay also adds it's reviewing the role and value of StubHub and Classifieds that determine the best path forward for shareholders. We do have a little bit of reaction from RBC's Mark Mahaney. He says that expectations were low, so the bar was low, so there's a bit of relief rally on the stock. And he adds that on the mentions uh, about the role and value of StubHub and Classifieds, this might be a positive step towards unlocking value. Back to you guys. All right, Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Mark, what do you make of eBay? Yeah, not a big fan of eBay. Um, I mean, when you look at eBay, they are in a very competitive space. I mean, the online marketplace, there's growing competition coming from the likes of Facebook and, and Google. So not a big fan. I mean, this is really more of a turnaround story right now where they're focused on cutting costs and things of that sort. So, uh, you know, if you're a business, where do you go to sell your product? Do you go to eBay or do you go to Amazon? So uh, I would think Amazon's the play here. The breakup of the company, that's kind of interesting. Right. I think that's really what, I mean, eBay's not expensive on its own. And I love that there are some very big idiosyncratic events that could happen here. Even the company's saying, we're looking at it. You know, remember the activists came out and said, here's our agenda. We're going to try to take over the board unless you do all these things. And they said, fine, we'll do all these things. That was very good. I like it here. I think the risk reward is interesting. And I think StubHub could, I mean, StubHub and Classifieds could both get big prices on long. So I'll do what you did to me on Powell. How much of that is already in the price? Because I look at eBay and I'm always perplexed that the stock can perform and can survive. But how much of that is without StubHub and without Classified on the up 39% year to date? Can you get back to old highs? And what are you playing this for to the upside? I don't think you need to get back to old highs. Well, what are you playing it for then? Uh, what, what are you playing for if you just buy straight out the equity? I wouldn't be surprised to see it at 50 bucks. That wouldn't surprise me. Okay. 
Still ahead, we are all over uh, the big after-hours movers. Check out IBM losing some steam. Netflix plunges uh, more than 12% at this point. We'll bring in the latest details from the reports. Plus, Facebook's Libra in the hot seat for a second day in a row, actually the head of Libra, Calibra. And Bitcoin pro Melton Demurs was there to testify. She will join us to tell us the moment that had the whole crypto universe talking. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide, much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The House Financial Services Committee wrapping up day two of its hearings on Facebook's new cryptocurrency project, Libra. Our next guest coming to us hot off her testimony. Here's what she told lawmakers moments ago. We're seeing a wave of interest in cryptocurrencies and countless imitators, which borrow some features of, but are decidedly not cryptocurrencies. Libra is not a cryptocurrency. I urge you to view Bitcoin as open public networks that enable innovation and growth, and to treat Libra and its future imitators, and there will be many, in the context of the facts, private efforts led by corporations holding billions of dollars of the public's money. Joining us now is CoinShares Chief Strategy Officer Meltem Demirs. Um, Meltem, great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. How big of a threat would Libra be? Is it dangerous? I don't think the question is, is it dangerous per se? I think really today what you saw in the House, led by Chairwoman Waters, who did an exceptional job, was lawmakers are trying to understand what is Libra. Nobody really understands. Libra would like to be cryptocurrency. That is how Facebook is styling this. But the facts are that Libra holds assets, including U.S. dollars and government securities, and is holding the public's funds. So I think the first step really today was figuring out what is this and what does that mean for how we go about figuring out what to do with Libra. And you explained it very well to the House today, Malcolm, in terms of what it is and how it differs from from Bitcoin. And you make the point that it is different in part because um, Facebook is a closed network. Facebook is a multi-billion dollar corporation. Uh, Facebook will have tremendous opportunity because of Libra, but also tremendous responsibility. What is your what is you your take as a Bitcoin expert on whether or not this could be, uh, you know, systemically important, systemically dangerous uh, down the road? Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, really what the question here is, is cryptocurrencies are not going away. It's been 10 years since the Bitcoin network launched. The Bitcoin network is worth a lot of money. Um, You're showing the Bitcoin ticker every day almost, so investors are looking at it. Cryptocurrencies are here to stay. And the question really is, is what do we do with cryptocurrencies, which are one thing that is separate and distinct, and what is Libra, and what should we do with it? I think the big concern of everyone in this hearing today was really the fact that Facebook has such tremendous size and such a massive impact on the digital economy. We're talking about 2.7 billion users. That's a lot of influence and a lot of power. And so there are questions about systemic risk. There are questions about anti-competitiveness. There are questions about who this consortium is and how it's selected. And that's really what lawmakers were trying to untangle. I mean, Facebook in some ways, or in, in many ways, this is sort of centralized versus the effort to decentralize, right, when it comes to (laughs) Bitcoin and and blockchain. Um, But putting that aside, Melton, what are the chances, do you think, that Congress will actually uh, confuse the the issues and, and want to regulate cryptocurrencies at large? 
So I, I do think there is a misunderstanding that cryptocurrency is not regulated. The Bitcoin network is not regulated. It's a technology. But the businesses that are built on top of Bitcoin are regulated. I should by say the rel increased regulation. Sorry. I know that there are anti-money laundering, sure. you know, your customer <laughs> provisions, all that on the institutions that deal with Bitcoin. But in terms of ramping up regulation to the point where the growth and the, the acceptance and uh, the usage of Bitcoin may get curtailed. I don't think that's going to happen. I think on both sides of the aisle, it was very clear that um, no one saw cryptocurrencies as being Libra. And everyone wants financial innovation. I think in speaking about the unbanked, which, by the way, are not a body shield, and that is not just a technology problem, but everyone wants to facilitate more innovation to enable the quote-unquote digital economy to grow through things like cryptocurrencies. Nobody is arguing with that. I think what we are trying to determine is how do we make the United States a place where innovators continue to build businesses? And how do we create a regime, a regulatory regime that reduces the burden on small startups and firms and allows them to compete with really large corporations who have great lobbyists, very expensive lawyers, and large war chests? Hey, Meltem, it's BK. Great to see you. Hey, BK. I, I, hey, I'm, I'm curious. You know, we both travel around the world to a lot of different events. I always find that other countries are way ahead of the U.S. Uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to regulatory clarity, let's call it. Yeah. After being in Washington, after talking to Congress, do you feel that's changing? Are we going to start to see some more regulatory clarity or maybe some coordination globally? I certainly think after the hearings we had yesterday in the Senate and today in the House, Lawmakers are very aware that the U.S. needs to remain competitive, that regulatory clarity is tantamount. There are a number of efforts underway, including the Token Taxonomy Act, which Congressman Davidson notably is um, leading with other members of, of the House. We also have Congressman McHenry, um, who's very focused on these topics. I think it's too early to say whether new regulation will be applied. Um, I do think we'll see the formation of a committee to focus on the issue of cryptocurrencies and possibly a separate committee to focus on the issue of pardon a subcommittee or a special sort of group to focus on the issue of Libra, which is distinct and separate. I do think for lawmakers, though, American competitiveness is a primary concern. And again, there's a reason the Facebook Association, pardon, the Libra Association chose to go to Switzerland. It's regulatory clarity and easier sort of process in terms of doing something innovative. And they want that to happen here in America. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but you know, t 10 years into this, I think a lot of us are still waiting for clarity. But I'm hopeful that today's efforts helped push things forward and that it created some of the much needed political momentum to get that going. Melton Demirers of CoinShares, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Um, she's up. She's I think she's very optimistic. Uh, she's more optimistic than me. I mean, you know, I, listen, I. I'll tell you right now, Asia is eating the U.S.'s lunch. They are so far ahead of us that I'm afraid the U.S. may have already lost the race. I, I, we still have a chance, but it's very concerning to me. This is where finance is going. This is the new technology. It's We talk about Netflix and how that changed cable. This is happening in finance today. And the U.S. is the center of finance. We're sitting in New York. This is what New York does, and we should take the lead in it. How about for Facebook? Two days of hearings, David Marcus getting grilled, basically. Yeah. Is this turning into, you know, maybe this is not worth it? Um, I mean, from a shareholder standpoint, do you question now? Well, it's never been the reason why I've been in the stock. Sure. Right? And I think, Could you know, it be a reason to get out of the stock? Because you think so much is built into the price already? No, I don't think so. And this will die down. It always, this frenzy around them, they're always... Their max poster child appeal is during their hearings on the Hill. Mm -hmm. We're finished with that for, for now. now.
<laughs> for, now. for now. Right. All right. It's a tough seat to be in. We want to get a check on our earnings movers as we head to break. Netflix uh, is down sharply after a big subscriber miss. IBM's gains are losing steam. We'll bring you the very latest from those quarters. Plus, retail in the hamper after Goldman Sachs downgraded a number of names today. We'll tell you if any of the traders are buying this dip. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on IBM moving in the after-hour session. Let's get to Josh Lifton in San Francisco with the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, I just caught up with uh, Mosh Katri of Wedbush. He covers the name, and she says, listen, there was good news in the quarter. He points at cloud and cognitive software division, so that's the company's newer technologies. That's cloud and analytics, um, saying that it was up about 4%. On the other hand, though, he notes that the margin improvement we're seeing here is coming from less important areas of the company, he uh, says, so global financing services. So that's why net-net, he actually called this a mixed quarter and why he says he maintains a hold on the name. IBM's Jim Cavanaugh is on the call. He talked about the Red Hat acquisition, of course, IBM's big bet on the hybrid cloud. Take a listen. This acquisition is an important milestone for IBM and one that will significantly impact the cloud landscape. It is clear that the next chapter of cloud will be about shifting mission-critical work to the cloud and optimizing everything from supply chains to core banking systems. And remember, Melissa, on August 2nd, IBM is going to provide updated guidance reflecting the contribution of Red Hat. Back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Where do you stand on IBM, Mark? I'd be selling this thing. I'd reposition the money into either Microsoft or Amazon or Salesforce. I think if you want to be in the cloud, there's a better way to do it than by owning IBM. I mean, it's, it's a dinosaur. It's been in a downtrend since 2012. Hasn't done anything. Management overpromises, underdelivers, under so it's one I'm staying away from. I'm just countering my winnings from the would you yeah. rather. I mean, we sold it short at the beginning of the show. It's, it's down. down. Already people yeah. are selling into the yeah. strength exactly. here in the after hours. Exactly. So, BK's going home. That's well it. Well off the after hours <laughs> session highs. Uh, meantime, Microsoft is set to report earnings tomorrow. One options trader seeing some pain ahead for the tech giant. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the details. Hey, Mike. Yeah, looking at those pictures, I feel like I could almost reach out and touch Josh. We must be very close to one another. But looking at Microsoft, yeah, we're, we're seeing an implied move of about 3.5%. That's kind of in line with about the 2.9% that Microsoft has averaged over the last eight quarters. And while call volume did outpace put volume today, the trade that stuck out to me was a purchase of the July 26, 136 strike puts. It was actually a roll up from the 131s. Over 3,500 of those traded for $2.12. So the buyer of those puts is making a bet that Microsoft could fall below that 136 strike by a little over the two bucks, which is the premium that they spent here. That would be a decline of about 3%. And it could indeed be a hedge against somebody who has a long position in the stock. Obviously, over those last eight quarters, the stock has rallied considerably up about 80%. All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. See Grasso. This is a stock that's done everything right. Right. But you mentioned yeah. positioning at the top right. of the show. And it's positioning, and, and I would not be a buyer of it at these levels. It's, it's been a perfect stock. I can't say anything negative about it other than the technicals. It's up 34% year-to-date. It's butting up against hardcore resistance. I'd rather see it break through 140 and be a buyer above 140 and use 140 as your support versus buying it ahead here and having it collapse, as Mike Coe said, and be down 3 or 4% instantly. Yeah. Karen? It just makes me feel stupid every time it comes up because you're it's not such long. a good story. <laughs> I'm not long. They were doing everything right. And the valuation at one time was actually pretty attractive. But it's now? It's unattractive now. It's just it's hardly a value stock at 30 times. 
Love the stock, own it. I mean, I think it's pretty much fairly valued where it's Are at right now. Are you worried going into earnings here? Are you worried that we're going to see, you know, they, they can come in in line with great expectations, you know, going into the quarter, come in in line and the stock sells off? No, I'm not. I'm really not overly concerned about that at all. I mean, when I look at Microsoft, what, what I see is they have a very, very unique value prop when it comes to the cloud. So they have this hybrid cloud offering which is good for all those businesses who over the last decade or so invested very heavily into internal IT infrastructure. And they're not just automatically going to get rid of that and move to the cloud. So right. they really bridge the gap. And I think they have a unique value prop there. I have a broader rotation mm. question here. Uh-huh. And maybe I'll pose this to BK since I gave him I'm, a tough question at the beginning. You yeah. seem to be ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it. You're yes. in your prime right now. It's like right a pick now. your poison. Am I, am I right? No, no, no your, it's oh, not pick your poison. No, just seeing the decline in, in Netflix. So you're right. Yep. So obviously people are selling, selling the stock. A lot of people who are selling the stock might want to be still invested in technology. And so where does that money rotate into. That's an interesting. That's an interesting Is it question. Thing well, name? Is it? you know, it actually could be Microsoft as part of the MAGA names that our friend Dan Nathan has come up with. And if you look at Microsoft, what's attractive about it is that kind of steady. Uh, uptrend here, very little volatility. In this environment, you could see a lot of people kind of part cash there. I, I would say on this on this particular trade, not to get all options action on us, but we talk about all the time protecting your portfolio when the volatility is low. This trade that, that uh, Mike pointed out to me is the perfect trade if you're long Microsoft. Protect yourself. All right. If you want to get all options action, you can yeah. check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, or tweet us at Options Action. Still ahead on Fast Netflix plunging after reporting a big subscriber miss. The earnings call kicking off in just a few minutes. We'll tell you what to watch out for when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retail stocks taking a hit today after Goldman Sachs came out with a bearish call in a number of specialty names. That's our call of the day. Ralph Lauren, PBH, Levi, all sinking after Goldman downgraded the stocks to a sell, saying they expect headwinds to continue for wholesale-led apparel brands. So, can the retail rec continue here, Karen? Mm, well, it was an interesting piece. I mean, this wholesale pressure has been around for a while, right? right? So, and anything like a Macy's, uh, you know, that has been crushed. So, I don't know if it's already in it. I, d- I don't own Ralph Lauren. I do own Capri, which would be, it's not so wholesale led. They've really been pushing their own retail. I do own that. I'm going to continue to own that. I think that their customer is fine. Um, and I own Target, which was also uh, right. one of the names that they do like. I, I like those two. I also own Foot Locker, which is not something they would like. They don't want you to be the the, the you know, between, right. yeah. Right. But the valuation of that is so cheap that I right. just absolutely can't sell it. So, I mean, if there's this wholesale pressure, mm-hmm. then those outlets that sell the goods on the company's behalf may be getting crushed, Mark. So how do you interpret this call and where would you go? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about it, where do all of these polo shirts and where do all of these Levi's go when nobody buys them at Macy's and Coles? TJ Maxx, baby, TJ Maxx, right? So TJ Maxx is the play here. We love TJ Maxx. We own that one. Um, off price is something that can work when the economy's good. It can work when the economy's bad. And consumers love the treasure hunt experience. They love it. I love the TJ Maxx myself. TJ Maxx? Oh, yeah. And what's the other one? Is it the Home Goods? You go into both of them and you get the potpourri? 
It's, I mean, you can yeah, get for You can do that. One Some people the, do. One of I'm the Jerry I brothers loves the TV. That's what it is. It. He does. That's and also throw in Raw Stars there, up 29% year to date. So whatever hurts the other complex helps these guys as well. But, All right. Yeah, guy Well, Karen. just one Tanger factory outlet, not doing well either, right? Mm-hmm. So anything mall-based. Mall, any mall-related, mall, mall, anything, mall, anything mm-hmm. bad. Okay. Check out Netflix uh, getting crushed after its earnings report. Uh, the conference call kicks off in about 10 minutes' time. We'll tell you exactly what to expect when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast. We're just minutes away from Netflix's conference call as the stock sinks after hours. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles with more on what to expect. And, Julia, we should preface, in case people forget, this is not a conference call typical of the average company. That's right. This is a video call. Reed Hastings and other senior executives asking analysts that are questions that are curated by an analyst, questions that have either been emailed or tweeted in. Now, uh, Melissa, analysts right now are honing in on what's behind Netflix's dramatic disappointment in subscriber additions, just 2.7 million versus the 5 million that Netflix itself projected that it would add. And Netflix actually lost 130,000 subscribers in the U.S. Now, Aegis analyst Victor Anthony explaining the shortfall, saying, quote, the content slate wasn't as robust in the second quarter, and that coupled with the price increases drove the subscriber weakness. We would take profits here even with negative stock price reaction given that upcoming competition will be another negative factor that the stock will face. Now RBC's Mark Mahaney noting that while the second quarter has always historically been the lowest in terms of terms of subscriber additions, this is the first time that the company has seen a decline in year-over-year in terms of this quarter. Mahaney saying, quote, the open question now is whether Netflix has less pricing power than bulls like us assumed. Now, on that video call, which starts in just a few minutes, Mahaney and other analysts are looking to understand the impact of the price increases earlier this year and some other key questions, including how much more Netflix needs to spend on originals to lure subscribers over with big hits, What kind of impact does Hastings expect from new competition launching in the next year? And we'll have to see if this quarter turns out to be an inflection point for Netflix or just a blip on the company's radar. Melissa? All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borston. What would you ask on the call, Grasa? What's your number one question? Well, you, you want to actually see when they're going to get to, what their margins are going to look like, what the free cash flow is going to look like, how much they're investing in, and really what this decline, how, how much of it did they not know in April what was there such a big gap between what they forecast in April and a couple of months later? How was there such a drastic miss? They knew what the competition was going to be like. They knew what their slate was going to be like. And right. they knew season, seasonality was not at their back. It was, it was a headwind. So I would want to know, how do they miss it? How do they right. whiff it so atrociously? And then to what degree of confidence do they have in forecasting third quarter? Yeah, I right. mean, if they right. believe that exactly. they were going to hit all these things and nothing was unexpected, they knew the content slate was weak. They knew the price cuts were there. So if all this was unexpected, how it, did they miss so badly? What and happened? what is their confidence right. for the third that's, quarter? That's exactly the problem you have here is, again, the story starts to break down because you don't have the growth anymore. And now you have the company who put out these numbers and they just, comp- I mean, if this is a 46% miss, it's not like they missed it by 5 or 10%, which would actually be a large amount, too. So, I, I, you know, to me, still, I think it's a no touch. Yeah, I mean, I'd want to know exactly what happened. I want an explanation as to why they missed so badly. But I think most importantly, 
How confident are they that, that the quality of their back half slate of content in the second half of the year is really going to help them to get back on top and really drive that subscriber growth that they've been experiencing over the course of the last several years? All right, a lot of questions. Conference calls four minutes away. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Tepper. Sticking with what works, Abbott Labs, another beat and raise quarter. The stock's breaking out, and they're killing it with their freestyle Libre glucose monitor. BK, Brian Kelly. Uh, well, listen, what we've seen from the earnings season, things are not as good as expected. I think you buy TLT as a protection. Karen. Yes. All right. I'm not delighted with my URI. I still like the company, though, but I'm a little nervous about the U.S. economy. So my S&P puts are my favorite mm. thing that I have right now. <laughs> Stay long, S&P puts. Wow, that speaks volumes. Grasso. So I look at this, and you, you see the Fed is dovish, and you see uh, Bitcoin is having a little bit of trouble. I go GDX. You have a bunch of investors that are a tailwind to it, GDX. All right, that does for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs> 